economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith and economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith and Economics Podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Luke Graham, producer and graduate assistant for the Gortney Institute. With us, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We have Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gortney Professor of Economic Education and Research. And finally, our graduate assistant-elect, Lawson Medlin. All right, well, we are pleased to have a guest today. We have Pastor Timothy Roth from Faith Lutheran Church in Ottawa, which happens to be my church, so that's the, that's the connection. Timothy went to Bradley University, where he got his master's degree in religious studies and philosophy, a double major, and then went on to Concordia University in St. Louis, which is where he's from, and got a master's in divinity. Uh, he started off at a small church in Humboldt and then has made his way to Ottawa, Kansas. And so we, it is a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod is the denomination of the Lutheran Church, uh, the best one, as far as I understand. And so, Pastor Timothy, welcome aboard. Thank you. All right, so I charged him with coming up, so uh, you can imagine this is going to be a little more faith-oriented discussion, which is great, because sometimes Peter and I tend to get a little heavy in econ sometimes, so we will uh, definitely take that direction, and and so what's on your mind, Timothy? What are we going to talk yeah. about today? Well, so first, I want to thank you all for, for uh, letting me be on the show. I've heard your voices many a time, so it's good to see, see your faces. So one of the things, that the topic that I kind of thought about to, to talk about today. Um, hopefully it'll be a nice marriage between, between um, faith and economics. It really started being something that I started thinking about when, when the pandemic and things started shutting down um, and I had expressed concern you know, for, for the economy and, and what it might do to the economy and got some criticism about, well, you only care about the economy. You don't care about people. My response was, no, I care about the economy because I care about people. And then as, as my brain, thankfully, as a pastor, my, my brain always tries to fit it in the framework of, of faith. How does this fit in, in the faith? Um, and trying to think through this on my own, you know, I, I look to the, to the Ten Commandments, and the first several commandments are about our relationship with God. And then the next several commandments, I've kind of come up with a thesis of, you know, they really set up the foundation for society, which is the family. You know, the first one, honor your father and mother as a child, you know, honor your father and mother as you grow up, you learn to value the life that God gives um, by not taking or, or harming even people in, in their life. Um, and then finally, uh, as you grow up, and, and get married yourself to continue on this life that God gives. And in marriage, you shall not commit adultery. Um, and my, my thesis, if you will, uh, is that these next three commandments kind of really establish that, that family, um, that this is God's, you know, the highest institution, if you will, that God has created for, for creation. And in that, one of the things that I kept coming back to as well in, in this is, you, if you go to the if you go to the New Testament and you look up the word for household and, and family, the root word is akoinami uh, or akoinas, um, which is also the same root word for economy. And we even talk about you know in theology we talk about 
the the hidden God, the God as he is in himself, which is the the imminent Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how they relate amongst themselves. But then the theological term for how God relates to us in creation is the economic Trinity, how how his salvation plays out and comes and, and relates and interacts with us. Um, so this is kind of the nebulous of, of thought, and I haven't really been able to talk. Uh, believe it or not, I've not known many economists to be able <laughs> to talk to. Uh, but, you know, this is kind of nebulous and, and really talking about that idea of, yeah, the highest institution is the family and and the, the word is the same word of economy and how these overlap. And sometimes I think people talk about the economy as kind of being um, anti-family. Uh, but really, my thoughts, my contention are, no, the economy is is meant to support and uphold the family. Yeah, I'm glad you kind of framed it that way, because it always irks me when people say, well, it's just the economics of it, when what they're really meaning usually is it's the finance of it, right? It's mm -hmm. numbers or it's money or whatever. And little do they know, economics is about everything involving human beings. And especially there's been lots of work on, on family issues. And so how you uh, discipline your children or something, those are issues in economics that, that do yeah. get studied. Yeah, that, you know, there's something interesting underlying the sort of, it's more of a trichotomy, but I'll focus on the, the dichotomy. And so I, I, if I'm understanding you right, you had the first three commandments dealing with God. Right. Uh, the next, is it three or four? I guess it depends on how you're not. Uh, three, yeah, so our numbering, it's it's the fourth, fifth, and sixth. Would be let's, let's run them down. I think the list <laughs> all right, all right. Let's, let's try to be down. a little nebulous. Right. Yeah, no, we'll just do just a, quick, a quick rundown. So, so the first three commandments, the first one is you shall have no other gods. Second is you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Uh, the graven image, we kind of say that's part of the first commandment. Um, so that's why we number them the way we do. So second one, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The third one is uh, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And then you get into the next three um, that uh, I'm focusing on is honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. And then with this kind of framework, I would even contend, you know, setting up the economy. Then the next three are kind of about that economy um, are. Uh, you know, the economy of a good name, you shall not, uh, oh my goodness, bear false witness. Be bear false witness. Thank you for saving the pastor. Uh, you <laughs> shall not bear false witness, or you shall not murder, sorry, or not murder. Whoa. Seventh commandment, you shall not steal. Then you shall not bear false witnesses. The yeah. eighth, the ninth is you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Then the tenth is you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or yeah. his manservant, or his mason, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Yeah. Um, so that's how that's how we enumerate the commandments. Yeah. So I think I think it's an interesting separation that you've put forth. Uh, and I think a useful one. I think it's right too. There seems to be uh, you. You also highlighted the tension that sometimes people mm -hmm. think like the economy is anti-family. I think part of it. Uh, we'll have to discuss it more to get into it. But I think part of the confusion here is that family and economy are necessarily like very different institutions in the following way. Families, I think, are what we would call like planned orders. And so Hayek would talk about like someone runs a family, right? Uh, so there's sort of a central planner or two usually. We all um, come from little dictatorships. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. The, the organizing principle of a family is what mom or dad, or depending on the house, I don't know, grandma or grandpa says goes. Which um, is also the way businesses are ordered too, I might add, just for 
because that's where I think it gets blurry when we go from family uh, has a planned order to it, centrally planned type system, if you will. And then a business, the boss, the CEO, the owner of the business is really structuring who does what and how and when. Yeah. So it's very centrally planned. But then the confusion starts when it's business to business, family to family, household to household, individual to individual. Yeah, I would say the the economy itself is an order that we would sometimes call spontaneous. Uh, Other people have different words. Yeah, you like emergent, Russ. And that is a very foreign concept for a, a lot of Christians, I think, because the Bible does focus on designed orders very heavily. And like there's a sense too theologically that maybe spontaneous orders are also designed. But the, the, the point is that, you know, we look at creation and this is, you know, ordered by God and we look at the family and this is run by the household. But there's not really a person, again, maybe apart from the sovereignty of God kind of gets into that. But there's not there's not a person, uh, one individual who is in charge of running the economy or economies. Sure. Um, you know, I mean, and that that made me think of uh, where a lot of more socialist minded, Marxist minded people run is they'll look to the early church and they'll say, see, they had everything in common. And I go, but notice the distinct difference. There's no one forcing (laughs) there's no coercion and people giving up yeah it's it's descriptive Um, right not right right it's it's just kind of emergent the i yeah i would using your term the the economy of the early church even is emergent it's not the apostles aren't dictating what's going to happen yeah and i've heard other theologians argue that it was specific to that time and place that they came together because there was some persecution and they held Mm -hmm. things in common so there was a purpose to why they did it that way. It wasn't something to say that this is the way the economy ought to right, be here. Right, it should right. be that this is somehow promoting communal living. Or and, something. and, and, you know, the only uh, people also look at, at the two that were punished because they had said they had, they had given, but they held some back. But the problem wasn't that they held some back from themselves. The problem was that they lied about it mm-hmm. and they were dishonest saying, yeah. Oh, we've given everything while they were secretly holding stuff up their self yeah. so yeah. you know it wasn't even you must it wasn't you must give you must participate but it was this more the community just coming together out of need out of necessity um, so what do you think the pushback is on um usually uh, this might come from non-christian circles about the families kind of looked at like, oh, you're promoting the family and that's a bad thing. It seems to be kind of the vibe out there. And I don't know if that comes from our individualistic type of setup for the United States and that, um, you know, family bad focus on the individual. You have the right to do whatever you want uh, as long as you're not harming other people. But right. let's take away focus from the family. I mean, what do you think the issue is? Yeah. With that? I mean, that's I think that is a large problem that the church in in the west and especially in the united states has faced um and continues to face is this you know individualism you know and as a pastor it it can be a challenge because well pastor i understand that that you believe what you believe and that uh the lutheran church says says this but but i have my own belief and it's between me and jesus Mm -hmm. well that's not really the setup that scripture gives the the scripture is very communal you know and it's not again it's not by coercion you know how do you become part of this community well by believing and trusting in in jesus um you can't force you can't coerce someone into faith yeah so yeah i think that 
we, we could get in a whole lot and I could probably get myself into a lot of trouble, but you know, this holding out the individual as opposed to the family, you know, I think one of the, one of the, the struggles of our society right now is our current economy doesn't support the family in the fact of uh, we've worked ourselves into through certain movements in history of both parent it's necessary for both parents to be working in order to make the bills uh you know in order to meet the bills and pay the bills and just to to briefly get into it you know i've i've questioned well how much does the the equal pay uh kind of lead into that because well why my contention would would be and this is the first time I'm vocalizing this and I'm doing it on a podcast that's being recorded, but, <laughs> uh, you know, why, why might there be equal, unequal pay? Well, because largely the husband's paycheck was covering the whole family. Well, so now you have equal pay and that introduces this. There's less money that the men are making in order to, to, uh, to, to distribute. Yeah. And so now you're dependent upon two paychecks yeah that's it's interesting actually elizabeth warren wrote a book about this believe it or not back when elizabeth warren uh, did, did interesting things called the the two income trap uh, i i do wanna i think it's important to make a i think it's interesting russ that you viewed it that way i was gonna say like the, the exact opposite of you which is that like if you and i think this has to do with like the culture versus the church if you stand up in front of a church and talk about the, and I'm not saying you would do this in like a, a pastor sense, but if you talk to a parishioner about like, oh, I'm worried about how this will impact the economy, you might get the pushback that, well, this might, you're just worried about like the, the numbers, right? You're, you're worried about money. But if you got up and said, I'm worried about families, you know, to a member of your church, probably that person wouldn't push back on you. Now, maybe in the broader culture, there would be some pushback. I think we have, as Christians, have to be really careful with delineating the difference between the cultural institution of the family mm -hmm. and what the family is biblically. I, I think this is, this is another problem is, uh, and this can go both ways politically if we want to talk about right and left. The, the nuclear family in the United States, I think it's uh, a relatively decent thing, but we should acknowledge too, you know, different times in church history, uh, there have been things that have looked different in terms of like different generations uh, being more involved with the household. So usually in the West right now, which I don't think this is bad, but it's just a fact, mm -hmm. we have the parents and the children live together. In previous cultures and previous generations, grandparents, parents, right. kids, and grandkids right. would maybe all live in, a, or great grandkids would all live in a house together. Uh, there's nothing unbiblical about this. And, and the, re the reason I'm laying this out is that we should be careful to, and I, I don't think you were doing this, but we need to be careful when we're <laughs> defending the family that we're defending the biblical family, not the cultural family. Yes, yes, because there's nothing yes. like objectively uh, good or necessary or right about the way that uh, family's taken a form. Now, I do, I do think that uh, there is a certain biblical model that we do have to defend, right? And, and so I think that's still important. But I, I did want to lay out that delineation because it, it's this kind of gets back to the spontaneous planned order part is I said families are planned orders, but it's kind of interesting. There's an aspect to which they're not right. Uh, the family has culturally all evolved over time. And by the way, some ways that I like and some ways that I don't like, yeah, sure, uh, absolutely. I, I think that that's uh, something we should consider too. So, all right. Well, this looks like a good spot for a break. Um, when we come back, I want to ask pastor Timothy about uh, kind of the law and gospel aspect of it. So we set up the 10 commandments as kind of, this is the way things should look. 
but then people screw that up. And uh, so I, I, I want to think about the, uh, the difference between maybe public policy and the economy running versus what we'd like to see biblically, should they remain separate or, or be more infused. So we'll be back in just a bit. If you enjoy our podcast and want to support our work, please consider a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit the Gordon Give page on the Auto University website today. Ottawa University has an exciting new major, PPE, which stands for Philosophy, Politics, and Economics. Each of these three fields is interesting in their own right, but they intersect in ways that are important to understand both individually and for your community. If you find philosophy fascinating, but want to make sure that your study of the subject is practical, if you enjoy economic analysis, but want to see how economic laws interact with moral principles, if you are interested in politics, but want to explore how economic and ethical realities constrain our political choices, you should consider the PPE program at Ottawa University. The Gordon Institute is offering a free Econ 101 class to homeschool students in the Ottawa area. We're covering things like scarcity, supply and demand, and going through some common economic fallacies. The class starts July 29th and will continue each Friday throughout August. If you're interested, contact Peter, Justin, or us today. The Gordon Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for free enterprise education and its contribution to human flourishing, faith and economics in action. We have some great high school student programs like PPE Fest. This is an event where students get to listen to some world-renowned speakers and participate in a competition geared around philosophy, politics, and economics, PPE. Our everyday economics program is just a half day on Saturday, and we will have an integrated discussion about common sense economics. We have a college credit microeconomics course that runs every eight weeks. Your high school student can earn college credit for the special price of $200. If you know some students interested in programs like these, contact Peter, Justin, or Russ today. All right, and we're back. So, Pastor Timothy, I want to respond to uh, Peter's conception of the of the biblical model of the family and the culture. Yeah. So, you know, as he was talking, I was I was thinking about this. Um, I mean, and we do have cult, culture is wonderful. Sometimes we we I think we can tend to speak within the church about culture being the enemy, but you know, cultures culture is morally neutral, right? right. You know, just kind of yes. tools, they're, they're tools, they're, they're part. Culture is actually, I would argue, good. Um, God gave us part of culture, but it's been corrupted through <laughs> through sin and, and whatnot. But so there, there is this, this, this concept of what is the family, and there has been very different cultural definitions. And even in the Old Testament, you have uh, you see these where extended families are living together. You have the matriarch, the patriarch with uh, with the children and the grandchildren. So you have cousins kind of living in the same home at, at points and whatnot. But that's not necessarily, you know, that again, descriptive, you know, that's descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive. Uh, what we do have prescriptive, you know, I'm thinking like the commandments um, and then like like in Genesis that Jesus then affirms in the Gospels is, you know, what, what, what is the basis for the family? And a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, you know, hold fast to his wife. Um, and so this, you know, being around family is, is wonderful and it has its benefits, but, you know, that's not necessarily 
the, the requirement of family. Uh, I, yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely agree. And I actually think to a certain extent, cultural institution of a long extended family, that could be an issue insofar as like husbands would be subservient to his father still. Right. Right. And so right. if you're, if you have a fam- familial institution that the oldest uh, father is in charge of everybody down to the minor details, I would call right. that un- unbiblical. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, and to a certain extent, like we have though, still, I, I, I'm always just careful of modern culture being taken to mean what the Bible also means. So let mm-hmm. me give listeners an example. Imagine in your head a family for a second. Try to not make it your own, yeah, because that's kind of hard not to. But imagine. I'm thinking of yours. My, my, <laughs> my guess is that the listeners at home, a lot of you probably imagine like two parents and two or three kids. Mm-hmm. The Bible doesn't, in fact, maybe even says the opposite, that you should have like 2.1 or 2, you know, the, right, the, right. the, the standard American families, three kids are less right now. That's a, a cultural artifact. So by the way, I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing. I don't think that every family has to have six or seven kids. But I'm also saying that part of the family, according to our, our cultural definitions, might not necessarily be biblical. They might not be like counter biblical either, like this different question. Uh, but yeah, I think I think we're in total agreement over the the family uh, and what it is in Scripture. So I, I, I don't feel like we're disagreeing there. Well, I mean, into that point, you know, Scripture over and over talks about the blessings of children. And yet in Scripture, uh, there are times where God very much withheld children yeah. from from a couple. Yeah. Um, and it's not that they were in sin and that wasn't a bad thing for them. It was God withholding from them for whatever the reason was. So, yeah. yeah. But but I think uh, so. The reason I wanted to get into to family a little bit is it's interesting to me that, you know, I think that this is in the church. This happens a lot where Christians are very willing to defend the family, even the cultural institution of the family, mm-hmm. not just the biblical one institution of the family. They're willing to defend both of those things, but they're like you pointed out, maybe sometimes a little reluctant to defend like the economy. And I think one of the reasons is this planned spontaneous order thing. Everybody has been in a family, either as a child or a parent, you know, or with very few exceptions, maybe have, have been in a family. And so everyone sort of sympathizes with the importance of the family to a certain degree. No one has ever run an economy or uh, kind of taken the helm of an economy from the perspective of, oh, I can see exactly what's going on because it's one of these spontaneous orders. And so because of this, I feel like people don't feel the importance of the economy because they don't understand everything that's going on and what goes into it, what can happen when it goes Mm -hmm. wrong. They do feel this way about the family because they've had that more direct role in it. So I think it's interesting that you separated the commandments that way because it's almost like increasing levels of complexity, right? Mm-hmm. The simplest thing that you can do and the first thing, really, the primary thing to do, right. love God. The next thing is love the people closest to you. Right. That yeah. last thing is love those people who are distant from you yeah. too, right? Yeah. Uh, love God, love your neighbor is a, a shorter way of saying that, but it even you know goes from the close neighbors to the far neighbors, right? Right. right. Not to mention that the economy, like when people thinking about the economy, might immediately go towards selfishness because a lot of times when people think about economy, it's like, oh, the gas prices, they're going up like crazy. That affects me personally and not exactly thinking and worrying about others. I don't think that gets on the mind of some people. And I think Pastor Timothy and Russ were both right, actually, that there is uh, there is even though I think self-interest is is always there and it, it can be channeled for good. I think there can be a focus on too much individualism, Mm -hmm. right? And and too much uh, selfishness. I think those things in certain instances are absolutely possible. 
And I think outside of the church, that's why you're seeing now what, what Russ said earlier, more people who are skeptical about family. I think Russ is right there. That it's that uh, maybe we could call it hyper individualism or idolized individualism that's gone a little bit too far in some circles. In some circles, it's sure. not valued at all. I wish people could understand the knowledge problem better that Hayek espoused. And that is when we get to larger groups of people, nobody can have enough knowledge to make a good centrally planned decision. And that's why we have emergent order, because we're effectively harnessing the knowledge that's in each family unit, each individual, each business. Uh, they know things that no bigger level of order or centrally planned system could have. And so once you bump up against that knowledge problem, you're into this emergent order area. And so the media does a terrible job of uh, uh, showing or, th or le letting people believe that there that planned order does exist. Uh, Biden's going to go over to Saudi Arabia and uh, get the oil prices down for us. No, he's not. I, I mean, that's not even possible for there to be significant moves in different directions by the federal government in, on many instances. I just threw that one out because it was it was kind of a last second hot button. But yeah, well, I mean, thinking about that of. Uh... We, we have it in history. Um, you know, Marxism hates, hates you know, capitalism, right? Um, and yet, because Marxism is, a, is a, a planned, or at least attempts to be, has a planned economy, and yet it never works out that way. You know, I've been listening to some books talking about the, the recent history of, of China and whatnot, and, you know, they always, the, the People's Party of China has always turned to capitalists, to entrepreneurs, to bail them out when their planned economy yep. fails. And then once the capitalists strengthen the economy again, then they take back control over. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's yeah, when that, that larger, uh, you guys, I know I've heard you guys talk about it before on the podcast, but I very much the, the mantra of local solutions to local problems, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, no, the, the guy sitting in the White House does not know what's best for my family. Right. Yeah. I know what's best for my family. And even knowing what's best for my family, you know, holding to to the, a biblical traditional model of me, my wife and my children who, who are not yet old enough to, to be married themselves and me as the as the head of the house, I still lead my wife and my children talking to them, mm -hmm. asking them what's going on. Uh, Russ mentioned, you know, me coming here from Humboldt. When we were talking, about, when I was considering that plan, my wife and I were in constant conversation um, about what her thoughts and, and feelings were. And, and I even, you know, we checked in with our children because this isn't going to affect just me. This is going to affect my whole family. So I make, I have to make this decision, but even making the decision for what's best for my family, I have to like, actually talk to them. Yeah. yeah. And there's see and, there's and very few one size fits all policies that work at the federal level. One of them um, that come from our 10 commandments, right? Thou shall not kill. That's a pretty good one. Pretty, pretty Let's good keep one. that one. <laughs> you know, murdering is illegal across the board. We, we don't want, not steal. we don't want some States allowing murder and others, you know, but then well, you get into this. different issues like abortion and that, that gets complex, but right. that's the whole point of having local knowledge and local cultures, let's call them that want, the world to work a certain way and it's okay if kansas looks different than california yeah. or new york and that that's the beauty of our system yeah well i, I that think we should have <laughs> that we're not there uh 
we've made some moves that direction. I think what's what's interesting about bringing it back to the Ten Commandments and, and the governance is that we have sort of this interesting function of religion. And we've talked about this before. And listeners, if you go back to our podcast at Creighton, this was kind of the main topic. Religion really has this powerful civil society function. And so again, uh, we, we can, you know, separate out categories. Uh, Russ mentioned like businesses, firms, those are like little dictatorships, mm-hmm. sometimes democracies that happens occasionally, but usually little dictatorships is what a firm is. There's a CEO, there's a board, they tell everybody what to do and the people do it or you get fired. And, you know, this is something uh, not dictatorship in the sense of coercion, dictatorship, right. listeners, just in yeah, the sense of, it's, we'll say command and control, right? Uh, someone has a uh, final say over it. And so that's one way that things happen. Markets are more spontaneous. That's another way that ha- that things happen. Then there's kind of this gray area of like families and culture, language, stuff like this, where we don't have like a governing body that controls all of it, but individuals do have influence over it. This is civil society, right? I think religion plays uh, an indispensable role. Uh, specifically, the Christ- Christianity plays an indispensable role uh, in the success of civil society because of the models that it gives us of you know how it is that people can flourish, right? Uh, Jesus was a model of this. Uh, you know, how, how do we flourish? Love God, love your neighbor. I don't think there's a civil society apart from those two commandments. I, I, th- I think it falls away. When you have... Uh there's a lack of education around this, if you ask me, but, you know, when you go back to, to our founding fathers and you talk about the Federalist Papers and, and one of the things that they argued was, you know, the, our constitution, you know, the, the society that we are setting up with our, with our government cannot exist with an immoral, unreligious people. It can only work amongst a moral religious people. And why is that? Because there's this, this you know, love that connects us, that binds us, that makes us want to uh, look out for, for the good of the other, the good of the better, um, and not so focused solely on, on myself. I forgot why I was bringing that up, but. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to finally get to my uh, halftime cliffhanger here of long gospel. And, and I guess I want to stay somewhat focused around the family of, of the theme that honor thy father and mother. So that's the law. And uh, but what happens, um, Pastor, when when you've got an abusive alcoholic dad, uh, you know, that, oh, the Bible, to, you know, because I think people wrongly have this conception. Well, I got to follow the rules of the Bible. Uh, they say, follow my alcoholic, abusive father. I have to honor them. Uh, but, you know, where, what's this law versus gospel theme sure. that uh, especially and LCMS Lutherans talk? Yeah, about? this this gets very messy very quickly because of this well there's this ideal uh but the reality is we're living in this world that is shot through with sin corrupted with sin and you know i I just had a my sermon on sunday was about this law and gospel thing and and uh one of the first president of our synod wrote this well he gave these evening lectures that his students wrote down and eventually compiled into a book called law and gospel and it's it's about distinguishing between law and gospel. And one of his first theses is, you know, this is the highest and most difficult art in Christianity is distinguishing law and gospel. And that's a great example. An alcoholic abusive father. How does law and gospel play into this? Well, you know, on one hand, 
the children are supposed to, you know, honor father and mother. And Luther will talk about this in his large catechism. Even if your parents are, are good for nothings, you are still called to honor them. Uh, but, but what does that honor mean? Um, honor means respecting them and, and seeing that God has put them there for your good. And so you look at them as a child and see their sin, see where they've messed up. And, you know, the gospel comes in as, as you forgive them because you're also recognizing that in the commandment to honor your father and mother, mothers and fathers are supposed to therefore be honorable, um, right. act in honorable ways. So this law, you know, cuts in both ways. So just like when our children mess up, we, we correct them, we uh, discipline them, and, and then we forgive them for, for what they have done. Um, same children forgive, but ultimately when it comes down to it those first three commandments we obey god rather than than man it, it's hard because it's different in every situation yeah um there's not a clear cut this is how you must respond in every situation and in every situation we we have to acknowledge that sin is part of it you know no one is is untouched by sin there's sin in everything no one's a hundred percent innocent and so there's reconciliation through through forgiveness um but when that father is being abusive and, you know, takes off his belt and says, come here, boy. And if you don't listen to me, I'm going to, you know, you're dishonoring me. Well, no, you're acting dishonorably as a father. And therefore that child is, is not so submissive in the fact of whatever you say they have to obey, mm -hmm. because they still have to obey and honor God who cherishes life, who has told you as a father, you shall not murder which includes not, not harming. So maybe the best obedience for that child is to run away distance yeah. to distance so that he not only, so that he helps his father obey the commandment of you shall not murder. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, 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 it can get messy very quickly. And again, there's no same with, as the federal government, there's no one size fits all solution in families, you know, even, even in faith, there's no one size fits all. We have the command and we know it's good and holy. But because we ourselves are sinful, the way that plays out is, thanks be to God, recovered by the gospel. And I'm, I might be kind of overly ambitious here with what I'm about to say in terms of uh, our, the scope of our conversation. But I think a lot of problem in our society comes from uh, people's inability to recognize, So, first off, the way that you order the commandments and also the order of the commandments, right? And, mm -hmm. and the fact that there are more basic commandments, right? We could say th things that are like a necessary foundation before you do other right. things. Yeah. And so a lot of people want to go out and say, well, I don't think you're loving people in the economy, right? And so this is what we need to do to fix the, the economy, right? Right. But those same people maybe in their own lives have not even learned how to love their family first, or maybe yeah. haven't learned how to love God first. And I, I think really, you know, that this love of God is, is central, even mm -hmm. in little issues like this of, well, what, what's our answer? Well, our answer is we need to pay attention to that most basic comment, you know, what is God's will? Right. You know, what, what would God have me do in this situation? Is it sit around and get hit by a belt? Well, obviously not. Um, right. Father's not honoring God. And so, uh, you know, law of man, law of God, uh, God wins every time, right? Uh, this, the first commandment, not, not the, the fourth or the fifth or the 10th. And this brings in this really interesting idea. I, I could see some people being unhappy with my comments here because there's sort of an implication that, 
well, if you're not a, a Christian, someone who honors God, like how, how is it that you could be good if, if this is true? Like if there are people who are atheists and don't honor God, am I saying that they, uh, you know, couldn't, you know, honor their neighbors or right. any of that? I think the the comment is that they could, but it, this is because of grace, right? right. Specifically common grace, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which, yeah. which uh, I encourage listeners to look into. But ultimately, it all does come down to this idea of the grace that God provides to us. Yeah, absolutely. Because, and that, and the response, you know, especially from the Lutheran tradition would be, you know, um, they're, they they can love, but their love is corrupted by sin. Right. And there's no grace covering it to perfect it in right. holiness. Um, so, yeah, it, they can love, but yet at the same time, it's still, a, it's still a selfish love bent inwards as opposed to purely giving of the other. Because you can only purely give yourself for the sake of another when you know that another has purely given of themselves. Right. Yeah, in this you. we know love that Christ right. gave himself up. Right, and, exactly, right. So, yeah. exactly. What about, uh, can we bring up, we've been talking about these commandments and about how like bad fathers treating their sons or daughters wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, let's bring up maybe teenagers, the other side of the family. And one of the commandments about adultery. So I was thinking maybe the big issue in our society today is kind of big tech, our culture and everything that you get to see online. And I think it also influences the family, breaks down the family a little bit because mm -hmm when you don't morally see that connection between two partners that is very meaningful, like it just becomes less meaningful, like anything sexual adultery just becomes a lot more meaningless over time. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's why I kind of break out those, those three commandments to honor your father and mother, you shall not commit adultery, or you shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery because that you shall not commit adultery feeds back into the, honor your father and mother, because as we grow, you know, we need, and secular research has supported this. I've not, I personally don't know, it could be out there about a study that goes otherwise, but you know, the, the stable home environment leads to the most prosperous outcome. Um, and so when you have a father and mother who are committed to each other, you know, even beyond just sexual attraction, when I do premarital counseling, uh, premarital instruction, you know, I always make sure to talk to them. Love isn't always about, you know, attraction, warm fuzzies. Love is the, hey, I've made a commitment to you and I'm going to, to keep that commitment regardless of how I feel, you know, regardless of, of the stuff you may have even done to me. I'm going to still love you um, because love, that's an action. That's a choice. And when you have two people committed to each other in such a way who then now bring children into the world and they see that, not only do they see that, but that love between parents extends to the children. And it just kind of creates this perpetual cycle of, of care and support and, and prosperity. You know, the fourth commandment is the first one with a promise. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you in the land in which you are going to possess. Mm. I mean, hello. <laughs> um, and why is that? Because, you know, as you as you have this couple um, that comes together is committed, it it continues on in the generation. So as we drift away from the family nucleus the way we have for all the various reasons and, and we become maybe uh, less of a Christian nation or what, however you want to phrase it. I mean, should we have 
policies in place that support the family? Maybe it's tax breaks or other things. And I, I think I say no to that, but I'm curious, Peter, if, if are, are we identifying something that's strong that both uh, religious and non-religious people could say, no, you're right. There is, there's evidence that uh, a, a new family structure is best for the kids. And so should there be incentives uh, structured by the government to support the family? I'm, I'm sure that's where a, a big line in the sand is drawn for a lot of people. But. Yeah, my, my line is at a slightly different spot. I'm okay with like tax incentives uh, policies. I would love a policy that says if you have a child uh, this year, you don't pay any taxes. <laughs> as, someone, as someone whose wife is uh, going to give birth in a couple months. I, I'd be a big fan of that. Uh, and, and I say that a little joking, but a, a little honestly too. Uh, I, I think that uh, there is value in not using the legal code to punish people who have uh, larger families. But I'm wary of allowing the government any space in here because I think kind of to Lawson's point, the reason why I think some of these things are on the rise, it's not just that technology has changed, though that's a big piece of it. A lot of things are going wrong with young men right now, specifically, right? Uh, young men are not getting in relationships anymore at the same rate they were. They're staying in their homes longer. Uh, you know, there, there's all sorts of like, if you look at measures of young men and health and mental health, it seems like a lot of things are turning down. They don't go to college as much anymore. Uh, things that we generally think are good, though, maybe that last one's not so bad. Depends on the circumstances. Anyways, <laughs> I think that our, our our government hasn't kind of created this this culture where adventure has been sort of stamped out as something that young men do. I, and I think this is another example of like our, our modern view of the family involves like, oh, you stay at home until precisely the age of 18. And then, you know, you go mm -hmm. off to college and then go to your job. It's like, well, uh, you know, again, a, a biblical family, that's not necessarily the case. I think young people can be independent and entrepreneurial before that happens, right? I, I think they can go and pursue adventures. And that doesn't look like for everybody sitting in a classroom eight hours mm -hmm. a day and, you know, then going to college. I mean, uh, that's not satisfying for everyone. I think this weird system has been created with like government incentives and student loans. It's almost too complex to tackle all at once, but I'm wary of government getting involved with family too much. Because I actually think they're part of the reason that we have sort of like this new and growing mess within the family, especially as it relates to young men and this failure to launch problem that basically is being talked about more and more now. Yeah. So I'd, I'd say you know, it, it's complicated because in the with the government we have right now, it's a very large government, um, a lot of regulation. And so with the regulations, I honestly would not be opposed to incentives with the understanding of we are fallen and sinful and sometimes it takes an incentive to do what's right uh that's actually one of the reasons why i like capitalism well they're selfish and greedy yeah but in being greedy and selfish and allowing them they make more money that helps our economy you know <laughs> that, that gives jobs and whatnot but what i would prefer was a lot less involvement in the government in my life right if they're going to be involved then i'd be supportive of of you know, some incentives, you know, very much the, I don't know, positive incentives, if you will, the, hey, we will give you a break if, if you do this desired behavior, as opposed to, well, if you don't, we're going to punish you, we're going to find you. Well, yeah. that I'm not as much. Yeah, um, you could even split positive incentives into actively subsidizing, which isn't necessarily, I'm talking it's here, but also removing yeah. barriers. Yeah. So, you know, yes. we, we've, we've, kind of alluded to uh, the, the two income problem where 
uh, husband and right. wife can have more money and government benefits if they stay technically separate right. legally or something like that, or you know, two people stay single mm-hmm. rather than get married. Yeah. But another problem is, and we've seen it over this year, our federal reserve system really does not encourage a future looking family. Uh, if your attempt is to save money for your kids and put money away for your kids, boy, savings is not looking too hot right now. <laughs> no, uh, not at 9.1%. Uh, economic <laughs> stimulus through the monetary system encourages consumption. That's actually the goal of it. Uh, and yeah. unfortunately, consumption is not savings, right? right? These two things are opposite. And so uh, just government not getting in the way would be a nice start. Yeah, that, that sounds like a whole nother <laughs> podcast there. Yeah. Well, and I do like your, your passive versus, <laughs> yeah, you know, the more passive, the less... <laughs> active of a role of government, the more I prefer it. All right. Well, this looks like a good place to wrap. Uh, Pastor Timothy, it was wonderful to have you on. I think we hit a lot of really cool areas today. So good. All right. Well, this has been a production of the Gordon Institute here at Ottawa University. I'd like to thank you all for listening. A five-star rating helps other people find us. And if you're interested in supporting us, we have a donate (laughs) button at our Gordon Institute website. So please join there and pass along the information. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.